Now, uh, it actually takes stress for us to accomplish anything. Stress can be a good thing. It motivates us, pushes us, gives us energy and effort in life. On the other hand, too much stress, bad for us. Because too much stress will cause us to fall apart or constantly live at the breaking point. Not very enjoyable. Now, when you came in this morning, uh, you received a rubber band, right? Looks like this. I want to give you a uh, just great props for your maturity and not hitting each other already with these rubber bands. So good job. What I want you to do is take them and like hold them in your hand like this. I want you to stretch that thing as far as possible, but don't break it. Like really crank on that thing, but don't break it, right? Oh, you can get a little more. more. Crank that thing out. Now, some of you can really pull it out or you're not as fra- Now, what did I say? What did I say? You see, uh, some of us can handle a lot of stress. It's like pulling on this rubber band, all right? But guess what? This rubber band, as well as us, at some point, it's got a breaking point. It's going to snap, right? And you know, that snap of the rubber band brings a little pain sometimes to it. That's why we like to poke people with them, right? Our problem is that we don't always heed the potential in our lives to win stress will snap us. And today, I want to help you. I'm going to help us to get control of our stress before it reaches the breaking point or before it drives us over that edge we've been living on. So you see, uh, stress is not your problem. huh? Yeah, your stress that you're dealing with is not your problem. My stress is not my problem. Would you just repeat that out loud with me? My stress is not my problem. Stress is really just a symptom of my problem. There's this myth today that other people cause my stress or situations or circumstances that I have to deal with, they cause my stress. That's a myth. That's not reality. The truth is you and I choose how to respond to people in situations that could cause stress. So today I want to look at what causes stress and how we can reduce it in our life. And I don't know about you, but I don't know of any person who lived uh, just a more chaotic life of things thrown his way and yet seemed to deal with it pretty stress-free than Jesus Christ. And so we want to take a look at him. I mean, Jesus, think about him. He rarely had his privacy, always had people around him. He was constantly interrupted. He was repeatedly misunderstood. He was ridiculed. He was criticized. He never seemed to be overstressed. He never retaliated. His life was like this, this example of balance and control. Kind of sounds like a nice life, right? And I want to look at the Bible and some of the things Jesus did to be so stress resilient. So let's look at it. Number one, if you want to reduce your stress, you got to know who you are. Know who you are. Like This is the number one stress reducer because if you don't know who you are and who God has designed you to be, then you're an easy target for stress. You see, Jesus had no doubt about his identity. He knew exactly who he was. Here's what the scripture says on it. John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We actually walked through this a few weeks ago when we were walking through the book of John, and we walked through chapter 14. So I encourage you, if you want to hear it in depth, go back on our our website and find that sermon. But for this morning, the point he's sharing with us is Jesus knew exactly who he was. 
He was the one to show us to the Father. He was the way, and no one could come to God except through him. Like, that's a clear role that Jesus knew who he was. Listen, if you don't know who you are, then other people around you find control of your life. If you don't know who you are, other people decide to tell you who you are. If you don't know who you are, other people want to manipulate you into becoming something that you're not. I don't know about you, but trying to become something I'm not, it never works. Never works. And trying to be something we're not, that's actually a cause, a major cause of stress in our lives. You want to reduce your stress? we got to avoid copying and comparing. You know what I'm talking about? When we try to look like, act like, sound like everyone around us or everything around us, that's copying. That's exhausting. Or comparing uh, also gets us into trouble. Listen, we tend to compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths. Do we not? They're strong at this. I'm going to compare my weakness. That's not a fair fight, but we do it. So that's why we have to be careful. Like scrolling through our social media, like you're browsing and you're enjoying life, right? Everything's wonderful. It's going great until you see what somebody else has or what they just bought or where they're at on vacation, you know, or what their kid did. And all of a sudden, man, I'm depressed. You know, I'm bummed out now. I'm like, you know, I wish I had that. Why doesn't my kid do that? You know, I want to go there too. Or maybe we use less pitiful statements or less pity-filled statements, and we say something like, must be nice. You ever said that one? Yeah, it's, it's called sarcasm. Translation, I want that too, just as whiny. Listen, we got to be okay with who we are and what we have. There's this actual stress disorder, uh, and it's mainly due to social media out there. It's called FOMO. Did you know this? It's called the fear of missing out. It's a real diagnosis. I mean, people are actually medicated for this now. And it, why, well, we tend to compare. That's why we get ourselves in this situation here. Did you know that people rarely ever post, like, the worst of their life on their social media? Like, people don't do that. Like, mom posts, you know, Billy, hey, won the third grade spelling bee, and we're excited. Or, you know, here's Billy, high school honor roll. Rarely does a mom ever post something like, oh, here's Billy, he's got gum in his hair again. He's 32 years old now. And, you know, I mean, we don't post those kind of things. We've got to be okay with who we are and what we have. Give thanks to God who made you and designed you and has blessed you. And here's something, I, I've seen it over and over again. When you're secure in who God designed you to be and what he wants you to be about... Your Christian witness is stronger. I've seen it over and over. You're bold in living your faith and telling people about Jesus. Why? Because you're living already to a high standard of Jesus Christ. And you're not pressured by others who may not even know Christ. Secondly, if you want to reduce your stress, uh, you got to know who you're trying to please. Know who you're trying to please. Did you know this? Um, you can't please everybody. Did you know that? I know. You, you probably can't even please everyone in your household. It's just not possible to please everyone. Listen, I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've tried really hard. Can't be done. So who do you please? How do you solve this issue? Jesus solved it. He settled it just like this, John chapter 5. I seek to please, not please myself, but to please he who sent me. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying, look, I've I figured this one out. Uh, I'm not going to decide who, who to please. I'm going to look to God, and I'm going to please God. I'm going to let God direct my life. Well, that means I've got to be in touch with God's word, and I've got to know, what is he calling me to do? Because I'm going to please God. Jesus made it clear. It's not about me. My purpose is what? My purpose is to glorify God and to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus tells us. That's his focus. Jesus decided to live for an audience of one. He said, my focus is pleasing God. How about you, me? What's our focus this morning? You see, if your focus is on God and what he wants, it's always the right thing to do no matter what other people think. Like, it might take some wise discernment. It might take some Christian counsel. You certainly need to be in God's word. That's true for all the points we're talking about this morning. But if it's from God and it's what God wants, it's always the right choice. Students, can I just talk to you for just a, a second? You've got to know it's so important for you to know who you are in Christ. Because you've got to know you want to please God. Because when you live for God and you stay focused on God and you focus on what he wants, it's always right what he leads you into, even if your peers or your friends don't come along with you. Another thing on this one is when you live for an audience of one, guess what? It simplifies your life. You know why? Okay, I'll tell you. Oh. That's what I'm here for. It says it this way. Uh, it simplifies because the conflict of what to focus on is narrowed when we, when we have an audience of one. This is how Jesus says it. No servant can serve two masters, right? No one can serve two masters. Makes sense. The formula for failure is trying to please everyone. Really, uh, one of the reasons Jesus wasn't stressed out is because I think he didn't live in this fear of rejection all the time or the need for approval didn't dominate his life. It didn't manipulate his life here. Listen, uh, you and I, we don't need approval from everyone to be happy. You got to know that. You got to hear that. And I've tried. You don't need that to be happy. But you won't find happiness without the approval of God. You'll just keep being on a search and a journey. So I want to ask you, where do you find your approval or whose approval means the most to you? Is it your kids or your parents, your peers, your coworkers? None of those are bad in and of themselves. Or is the main approval to try to please Jesus Christ? Because Whose approval you seek will determine your level of stress. You know, preaching every Sunday, it's both a blessing and it's a curse. Because you got to learn how to deal with criticism and how to deal with praise. Like, you know, I preach one Sunday and somebody comes out and says, well, I don't like what you said at all. I don't agree with any of that. I like Pastor Anson better. I like Pastor Kevin better. <laughs> Thank you. You know? Or on the flip side, I mean, you've got to learn how to deal with praise because if you, if you take praise the wrong, great job, Pastor, today. That was just so good today. I mean, I can inflate that head and go, wow, I'm posting some sermon quotes on Facebook today. Yeah, you know, you've got to learn how to deal with that because these moments of praise can do that. Like all three times a year, they can do that to our lives. I'm kidding you. So we've got to live for an audience of one. And I believe I have to preach for an audience of one. Like, like, as your pastor, I love you. I mean, we're friends. I like hanging out with you and interacting with you. Um, but I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to empower you and encourage you to grow in your Christian life every day. 
And I want to empower you and encourage you to tell as many people about Jesus as humanly possible. That pleases me because I think it pleases God. Number three, if you want to reduce your stress, um, you've got to know what, to, what you want to accomplish. Why is this so important? Because none of us have the time to accomplish everything in my life. Am I right? I mean, this week, did you get everything done? You didn't even get your need list done, much less your want list, right? We just don't have time. So we have to ask yourself, what is it we want to accomplish? Jesus was really bold as he lived his life. He says this, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Would you like to live your week that way? I know why I'm in this week. I know what I've got to accomplish. I know where I'm headed to. Jesus knew the mission of God that he had given him to reach people far from God and to seek and save the lost. So he was driven to that, and those were goals, clear-cut goals for his life, goals that were clear because he kept his focus on the Father. If you and I don't have clear-cut goals in life, we run the risk of being pressured to do what everybody else would like us to do. Here's a question for you. What's most important? What's most important to you? Is it success? Is it having people like you? We don't like to say that, but we live that way sometimes. Is it making lots of money or having lots of friends? Is it looking young, even though your driver's license no longer says that? What is most important to you? Because most, most important to you is often tied to your priorities and your goals. And you know what? If we don't have priorities and goals, we get distracted. Now, you may not be one that says, Tom, I got to put together like a 10-year plan with six-month check-ins. That's not what we're saying this morning. But being plugged in with God, God will lead you in goals and priorities for your life and for his kingdom values. Can I tell you why most Christians, nearly 97%, never help someone come to know Jesus Christ? Or why only about 37% of Christians ever invite someone to church with them? Or why in a recent study with the Barna Group saying most Christians attend church about 1.8 times a month. Christians, simple. It's not priority and it's not goal in their life. So everything else around us can easily distract and persuade us to do other things. Same is true for our families, our jobs, even our hobbies fit into this. When the goals are not set and the priorities uh, of accomplishment are too low, we, well, we don't find accomplishment at all. Check out this verse in the book of Luke. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, no one who puts their hand to a plow and then looks around can really accomplish anything. When we get distracted, we get off course, and the plow might go anywhere. So if you put your hand to the plow and you get easily distracted, you're going to mess up that field pretty good. And maybe you get a few seeds in the ground but certainly you won't have the efficiency that the plow was designed to give you. And listen, believers, the same can be true for us. Because if you think, if God is using us to plow the field and drop the seed for kingdom values, if we get distracted and look around and look away, then we miss out on what he's called us to do. Believers, I want to just tell you, if we get so caught up sometime in our suburban lives of car payments and youth sports, and kitchen remodels, and green grass in our yard, and, and nothing necessarily wrong with those. I like green grass. I, mean, I like doing what's necessary and spending my time to make green grass happen. 
But if we get so caught up in our suburban lives, we will never reach anyone for Jesus Christ. And I believe our Christian witness will always be Christian disciplines just have a low priority in my life. If we put our hands to the plow, to the work of God's kingdom, then let's keep our eyes straight and let's move forward in all God would have us do. See, there's some choices that you and I have to make if we want to be successful in anything in life. Some choices we have to make. One is pressures versus priorities. What do you, what do you mean by that? Pressure is those things that other people tell us to do or our culture demands of us. But priorities are what comes from God. Pressure makes us always live in the urgent. Always live in the urgent. Now, there's urgent things in our life, but I don't want to live there. I want to live in the priorities, the things that are important to God and to his kingdom. If we're not careful, we also often let the good overtake the best as well. What do I mean by that? I think this relates to a lot of us as believers of Jesus Christ. Now, you're not out there robbing banks, right? I, I don't think... I don't think you are out robbing banks. I mean, you're not like killing people. You're not out there like just doing crazy high-level sinning every day, right? I mean, some of you have chosen to be Duke fans, so we've got, we got that. But, but listen, but if we're not careful, this is what happens. We get so consumed with doing a bunch of good things that we actually forget to ask the question about what is the best thing. What is the best thing God has for us? We push our kids. We pay for things for them to do that maybe we didn't get to do when we were growing up. Things that will help them towards grades and youth sports and activities. And all of this can be good. But if these things become such a dominant priority of our life, we're actually teaching our kids to do good things. And we're neglecting to help them ask the question of God, what is the best thing for my life, Lord? Listen, believers, if we're not careful, we can fill our lives with a lot of good things, sometimes none of which draw us close to God. And sometimes they even create distance between us and God as well. The best thing, you know what, parents, the best thing, make sure you and your kids love and serve Jesus Christ. This is a great thing, the best thing. Another one we have to deal with is distractions versus focus. Jesus uh, said that if we get distracted, we're not fit for the kingdom of God in that passage. Those are strong, strong words from Jesus to speak about keeping us focused. And then we live in this culture. There are so many things that can distract us. We were talking in men's group last Wednesday night about way back in the book of Genesis and Bible days, way, way back. Like how many things would distract them like from their work or from keeping the Sabbath? Like how many? Well, like, maybe just a short list, a few, but pretty short. Our list is wide open, folks, of things that can distract us from keeping our hands to the plow. The Apostle Paul was a man of focus. He had a, a lot to do and say. If you've never read of him, I encourage you, jump in there. Start with First and Second Corinthians in the Bible and just start reading and you'll learn about Paul. This one thing I do, he says, that's focus. Forgetting what's behind me, I press forward towards the prize. That's focus. I'm going to accomplish what God's called me to do. Number four, if you want to reduce stress, you got to know how to delegate. You see, uh, we're often under a lot of stress because we think we have to do everything ourselves. Are you one of those folks? Got to do everything yourself. Complete this sentence with me, if you would. If you want the job done right, you better... Yeah, do it yourself. There it is. You know it, 
right? That's the model of a person headed to burnout. Even Jesus did not try to do everything himself. He delegated his ministry to people. Take a look at Mark chapter 3. He appointed 12, designated them to be apostles, that they might be with him and they might, he might send them out to preach. Are you stressed all the time? I mean, very well could be that you're doing too much or you're afraid to delegate or you're afraid to ask for help. You see, there's a couple reasons why we don't delegate. One, we could be perfectionist. Everything's got to be perfect. We don't like you. No, because you want everything perfect. And so you don't allow somebody else to do it. Why? Because you can do it better yourself. Or we're on the other side. The truth is we're insecure. We're not, we don't want to say that. We never say that. But we're afraid somebody else might just do it better than we do it. And they'll replace us. Either one of these, right? This opens the door to a greater and unneeded level of stress in our life. If we're going to be successful in life, there's actually this maturity process, this growth timeline that we all have to go through. It starts with being dependent. We all went through it, right? You were born. You were dependent on your parents to feed you and change you and bathe you and those type of things. You started to learn how to do a, little, a few little things. You tied your shoes and stuff, right? But you were still dependent. You weren't driving to the grocery store at six years old and buying your groceries. It's dependent. And then the, the next stage comes along. We, we start to become independent. Somewhere around adolescence, we start to focus on being able to do the things that we can do. Now, some of you are like, I, I think it's like my three-year-old is, is pushing towards that. And it feels like that, right? This is the stage where you say, I want to do it myself. Parents of teenagers, have you heard that? You know? I want to do it myself. Have you ever walked up to your teenager and they're like, they're saying to you with their arm, I'd like to be in this environment myself without you. Independent. Now, this is a good stage. This is something we have to get. It's way better than the dependency stage, right? Would you like your 17-year-old to not be able to, to bathe or change themselves? Um, it's good, but it's not the ultimate goal. And that's a struggle for a lot of us that are independent is because we like to do it ourselves. We like to accomplish it just ourselves. But the real key to maturity is being interdependent. Interdependent. That means you're, you learn to be a part of a team, whether it's at home in your family with your spouse or, or if you have kids, but you actually learn to work together and depend on one another, and you can just accomplish more. This is in your office. This is in your hobby. This is here in God's house in the church as well. But if you're the one in charge you got to delegate to be able to get to this level. In fact, the future growth of Wendover Hills Church, I believe, rests on building great teams. Great teams. Why is that? Well, because every leader has a lid to their potential. Every, lid ha every leader has a lid to what they can do and accomplish, whether it's by ability or the time they have to put in. So you got to have a team. you got to bring others around you. Whether it's an individual sport of golf or racing or swimming or, or running, these are not really truly individual sports. Every single one of those athletes takes a team around them for them to be able to accomplish what they need to accomplish, trainers and coaches and whatever else. In fact, you know, the goal of this church, uh, one of the goals of this year, one of our four goals was to grow to 200 people. We've launched a second service, so we're plenty spaced out. Look at the space around you for you to bring somebody and us grow to 200. That's a goal that we have. 
The number is just there to stay in front of us to keep the idea of growing important. But in reality, where we really want to grow is in our teams, all of our teams around the church. We want to grow. Why? Because we recognize the interdependency is more important than one or two people pushing hard. That's fine. We like working hard for the kingdom, but interdependency in teams is so much more important to lean on one another, and it just brings greater strength to God's kingdom. Can I highlight a team? Did you actually know that there's three teams that pray for all our prayer requests every week? You trust us with your prayer requests on one of the red cards that Pastor Anson was talking about, and there's actually three different teams that pray for you over the course of the week. I get prayed for every week. We are interdependent. We need each other in that way. So do we need to keep inviting towards our goal? Absolutely. I mean, I hope you invite every single day somebody to church. I hope we fill up every seat in here in the first service as well. But spiritual growth is often even more measured by our connectedness in working for the kingdom together. And we want to keep building those teams so you want to build, you want to reduce stress. You got to know who you are. We talked about that. You've got to know who you're trying to please, know what you want to accomplish, know how to delegate. And finally, you got to know how to recharge. This is so, so important, how to recharge. Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Circle the word rest. Do you like rest? Yes. At 2.30 this afternoon, when I go to my bed to take my Sunday nap, Rest is awesome. It's wonderful, right? Wonderful. Rest. You see, if we don't learn how to come apart and relax, all that's really left is just coming apart altogether. We've got to learn rest and margin is so important to God that he actually included it in creation. Did you know that? And he reiterated it when he gave the Ten Commandments as well. Did you know that? That at creation, God actually created a day of rest and he built it into us. It's part of who you are. You can run from it as much as you want. You can fill it with as much work as as you want to do. The truth of the matter is you were designed at creation, you and I, to crave and to need rest. And it was so, so important. God said, here's what I'll do. I will give you a day a week. You just have one requirement. Take it. Take the day. Here's what he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Do you know what holy means? Set apart. He made it set apart for who? For you and for I, that special day. The Sabbath was created by God to give us balance in life. We work six days, but we better rest and worship on the seventh. Now, I realize some of you, you're, you're police officers, you work in the medical field, you work schedules where it's 24-7. I get that. You still got to find your Sabbath. You still got to find that day in your week where you take the rest that God's designed your body to have. In our culture today, much of our stress comes from our inability to follow this simple commandment. And therefore, our inability to recharge. We're busy all the time. What's more, we wear it sometimes like a badge of honor. We're like, man, I I just worked 52 weeks straight. Hit a whole year. Crank it. That's not a badge of honor in God's eyes. God says, no, I designed you for rest. You can accomplish more on the six-day schedule than you will pushing seven days. Doesn't make sense, but God designed us 
that way. We sometimes push really, really hard, 11 and a half months a year, with no rest, no relaxation, by, just bypassing what God has designed us. And then we throw everything in the minivan and we get down to Disney for two weeks, right? Nothing wrong with Disney. I'd like to go too, yeah? But then we come home and we're not rested or relaxed, right? And then we start right back into the cycle. And God said, hey, here's what I'll do for you. I'll give you a day every week. You just have one role. You got to take it and see if it doesn't bring rest and reduce your stress. The truth is that too many of us as believers of Jesus Christ have made worship an option instead of a priority. And whereas it's a detriment to the church and not having God's house full every week, it's far more detrimental to the followers of God who are not being filled up regularly. I want to make sure you hear that. I want to say that again. Whereas Christians not being in worship, making worship a priority, it's a detriment to the church and God's house not being full. It is far more a detriment to Christians who are not being filled up every week in God's house. Because God wired you and I for that. He designed us that way to need that. We can't escape it. And so when we ignore it, we're actually inviting more stress. Let me say it stronger. We're actually opening the door to being held captive or held hostage by our stress. That doesn't sound fun. Church, we got to make worship in God's house or with God's people a priority. And guess what? We're the ones that are blessed. We're the ones that are built into. So why is this recharging so important? Because our input, it must meet, match our output. You understand? What you're taking in it's got to match what you're trying to put out. Too often what we try to do is not bring enough of God in recharging into our life, but we keep trying to pump out. And it just doesn't work that way. The result, stress. Jesus knew this. Jesus actually practices this by being alone with God. He taught this. He was in God's temple regularly. He describes it for us, for you and I this morning in John chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. Listen to this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. Jesus said, if you don't stay plugged into me, if you don't stay connected with me, you dry up. You dry up fast. I don't want you to live a life that's constantly on the edge. I don't want you to live a life that's constantly at this breaking point or this boiling point. I don't want to live that kind of life either. I want you and I to live a life of abundance in Jesus Christ, a life that's designed and used for his kingdom, and a life I believe he brings us incredible joy, not stress. So what's the takeaway? It's simple. Identify one thing to help reduce your stress. Now, you may be looking at all five of these and say, Tom, I mean, those all five hit me. They did for me while I was working on the sermon all week. They all challenged me this week. But I want to encourage you at very least, take one of these things we talked about and say, circle it and say, that's mine. That's this week God is calling me to work on. That this is the thing. I'm going to circle it. I'm going to pin this up so I can see it every week. And every day, God and I, we're going to have a little conversation about this point. Lord, help me this week in this area. Help me to know to please you and not please everyone, or whichever one you choose. And I just promise you, 
God immediately will start working a transformation in your life. But we, you, I, we've got we've to go ahead and hand it over to him and start working through that. Let me pray for you on this, if you would. Would you bow your head? Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that your word can speak to us in so many practical ways. I mean, just real life ways. Uh, who of us did not walk in and we were dealing with stress or we just dealt with stress or we're worried about a situation that starts tomorrow or whatever the case may be? Father, you're a God who says, if you would cast your burdens on me, if you would give them, if we would give them to God, that his burdens, it's, it's, it's light. He'll take it from us. What we have to carry is pretty light in comparison. That sounds better to me, Lord. If you're out there today and you're like crushed by stress, I want to encourage you this morning, first and foremost, before you move from this place this morning, would you turn to God and would you just say, even if you have to do it in a cry out type of voice, would you just say, God, God, help me. I'm so overwhelmed and overcome by stress. And then would you just look again at this sheet that we work through and would you just identify and say, here's one area I can start. I got to start recharging. I never recharge. Whatever one you choose and say, God, help me this week to put this into practical play in my life. And then can I ask one more thing? Would you this week, whenever there's even the smallest amount of help that comes or transformation that comes, will you just write that down? That you would have record to be able to give God praise for what he's done. And Lord, we'll give it all to you and we'll trust that you've got great stories you want to tell. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.